Grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this midweek of Lent 5, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What's the most famous trial in the last 100 years, you think? The most famous trial in court. Was it the 1925 Scopes Monkey Trial? which allowed evolution to be taught in public schools? Was it the Nuremberg trials? When Nazi leaders confessed or tried to justify what they had done during the war. Was it the O.J. Simpson trial with the famous black glove? Was it the Timothy McVeigh trial? You remember, he was tried for killing 168 people in Oklahoma City on April 19, 1995. Or maybe you're thinking about the Unabomber trial, the Saddam Hussein trial, or the Martha Stewart trial. What are the most important words in any trial? Innocent, guilty, and then there's another one, if it happens, free. You're free to go, right? Usually, you're free to go right there on the spot, in the courtroom. You can go home if you're, if you're declared innocent. Every trial hinges on these three words, innocent, guilty, free to go. Let's use these words to understand the most famous trial ever, one for the ages. The trial takes place in Pilate's judgment hall. The accused, Jesus. The accusers, the Jewish leaders, Caiaphas and his lot, and the scribes and the Sanhedrin, the judge, Pontius Pilate, innocent, guilty, free. Innocent, that's Jesus. And we all know this. For Pilate knew that it was out of envy that the Sanhedrin had delivered Jesus up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, sent word to him, have nothing to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. We don't really get the details of this dream and why she's so upset about this or why it's bothering her so much. But we do get six times in Matthew, he calls Pilate, Pontius Pilate the governor. He's the Roman governor of Judea. As Judea's governor, Pilate is sitting on the judgment seat. That's because Pilate has the power of imperium, which is Latin for the person who, who decides formal death penalty cases. In Judea, Pilate alone has the power of imperium. You either live or die, according to Pilate. But Jesus is innocent, right? Pilate doesn't completely understand that. But his wife seems to understand something about it because she says she knows Jesus is innocent. The rest of the New Testament scriptures take this a little further, a whole lot further. The New Testament says that Jesus is absolutely and perfectly innocent. For example, Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus was without sin. Doesn't say he had a little bit of sin. He was without sin. Jesus could have broken bread with the devil in the wilderness or broken ranks with the Father in Gethsemane, but he didn't. 
Jesus is always the truth in the midst of lies. He's relentlessly kind in a world of hatred and self-centeredness. He's heavily focused, or heavenly focused, <laughs> he's heavily heavenly focused in spite of countless worldly distractions. And when it comes to sin, Jesus never did it. He's innocent. That's him. Guilty. Now that's Barabbas. Barabbas, we say in English. In the Hebrew, his name would have been more like Barabbas. And they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Barabbas was the kind of Jewish Robin Hood. He took money from rich Roman citizens and gave it to poor Jews. That made Barabbas a national hero. Barabbas was famous as an insurrectionist, too. Insurrectionists were anti-Roman fighters who belonged to a political group called the Zealots. And Zealots had one agenda, and that was get Rome out of the Holy Land. Zealots were ready to do anything to make that happen, even slit throats. Barabbas wasn't a petty thief or a second-hand scoundrel. Rome wouldn't condemn a small-time crook to crucifixion. Rome would, however, execute a notorious insurrectionist and first-class killer, Barabbas. He was a heartless, brutal criminal. Barabbas had anger in his heart and blood on his hands. Barabbas would be crucified by noon, dead by sundown. His only future was a hammer, three nails, and death by hanging on a cross. Barabbas, guilty. Innocent, that's Jesus. Barabbas, guilty. Us, guilty, that's for sure. We're all born dead in transgressions and sins. Ephesians 2, verse 1. We are lost, Luke says in chapter 19. Prone to wander, prone to leave, or not listen to God the one we love. We are blinded by the God of this age, Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians. Our finest deeds are rubbish and manure, Paul says to the Philippians, and unclean rags going several generations earlier to Isaiah. Just call us Barabbas. Paul puts it this way in Romans 7. What a wretched man I am. Not, I was a wretch. No, I am a wretch. Paul uses the present tense word. Right now, today, as a believer, truth be told, I'm still a wretch. The Bible calls it sin. So, it's not a regrettable lapse or an occasional stumble. Sin stages an insurrection against God's rule. Sin storms the castle. Sin lays claim to God's sovereign throne. Sin defies God's universal authority. And sin says to God, get out, get lost, I'm in charge. It's easy in church to want to live in peace with all people. It's harder, however, to act on that when life isn't going your way. And many other examples of sin. 
The prophet Isaiah says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned his own way. You have your way, I have my way, your way may be whatever. Her way may be intoxication. His way may be flirtation. We all have turned to our own way, just like sheep. I don't like to confess it. In fact, I just soon, just as soon avoid it. I'm Barabbas, a prisoner to my past. But God has also declared you and me guilty. What's the sentence? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Let that sink in. The wages of sin is death. Innocent, that's Jesus. Guilty, that's Barabbas. Guilty, that's you and me. Free. Now let's get to that final word, free. That's Barabbas as well. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask Barabbas to destroy Jesus, or ask for Barabbas to de and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. The word persuaded rendered a past tense verb is better translated here as a perfect past tense. Had persuaded. These guys were up to this even before they had gone to see Pilate. The Sanhedrin had all their ducks in a row long before this early morning trial. Meaning what? Meaning this crowd is different than the crowd we're going to hear about this Sunday on Palm Sunday. The Palm Sunday crowd consisted of Galileans, joyful to see Jesus come from where they lived down in Galilee up to the capital, Jerusalem. But this crowd on Good Friday consisted of Judeans up at 6 a.m. to get Barabbas off the hook. The Galileans are camped outside of Jerusalem, still sleeping. Imagine the centurion when the key, with the key, he unlocks the prison door, swings it open, and shouts, Barabbas, you are free. They chose you to go free. And he probably stumbled out into the light of day, shackles gone, crimes pardoned, all his insurrection and murder, free. That's Barabbas. That's us too. How so? Because Christ endured not just the spikes, the mockery and the spear, but also the gears of God's grinding justice. God must punish sin. That's why he placed all our sins on his son, Jesus. It's accurate, therefore, to say Christ substituted himself for the world. It's life-changing, however, to say Christ substituted himself for me. Say it to yourself for you. It's true. He did. It's not just for other people. My sins... Your sins, they are many. God's mercy is much, much more. We're free. Psalm 146, verse 7. The Lord sets prisoners free. 
And Paul says to the church in Rome again, the law of the spirit of life has set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And in Revelation, Jesus has freed us from our sins by His blood. There are a million ways to become a prisoner. There's only one way to be free, and His name is Jesus. Just think. The outcome of history's most famous trial means that the Savior's liberating power sets us free from the condemnation of our sin, free from the pain of our past, free from the worry about our future, and no one can take this freedom from us. No law can stop it, not even H.R. 5, the Equality Act, if it goes into law. And no power on earth or hell can destroy the freedom that you and I have in Christ. Innocent, guilty, and free. These are the most important words in any trial. What would you say is the most life-changing of the three? I would say it's innocent. Yeah. John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And He has. So, amen.